when I listen to them and hear them, when I acknowledge what they're saying is what they're saying, and I validate them for saying, and I say, you have every right to say whatever you feel to say. I mean, I, I completely get that. And whatever you say, whatever you do, I'm going to love you and, and accept you because I just love you. My love isn't based on what you believe. My love is based on who you are. This podcast may challenge your beliefs about well-being. Hi, we are Rani and Suraj, a husband and wife team, psychiatrists, authors, and well-being coaches. We guide heart-centered entrepreneurs and professionals to their true well-being. We bring our mental health and coaching experience and understanding of Eastern spirituality into our conversations every week. So if you're excited to embrace clarity, fun, and ease in your life, relationships, and business, stay tuned. Welcome to the Listening into Wellbeing podcast. Daniel, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. It's such an honor to be with you. I, I, have, I have felt you before I saw you, and I have felt this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful heart that has so much love in it that I just, what an honor to be able to be with you today the giver behind the love that I've been given. Oh, I just need to say a bit about how I got to invite you to this podcast. I was um, browsing the rooms in Clubhouse, and then I saw the title of this room called The Power of Listening. And something made me go to that room, and I heard you talking. And I think it was the last few minutes in the room. I just felt the energy in the room. And I just felt like I needed to reach out to you. I, I wow. checked your bio. I checked you on um, Instagram. And I said, I'm going to DM this person. They might not, you know, respond back. I don't know, but I'm going to do it anyway. I just felt the urge to reach out to you and say, can I, can I invite you for a podcast? And you said, yes, yes, yes. I still remember that. I love that. Well, I love when I get an invitation that I just always try my best to respond yes to any invitation I get. It's something I've practiced since I was a young boy, and certainly in the monastery, our practice was to answer yes to everything we were given. And sometimes we would be given more than we could physically do. So my the head superior in the in the monastery said. Even if you have to say no with your mouth, always say yes with your heart so that you can just feel that you are completely in agreement, completely in attunement with doing anything anybody needs to help them have whatever it is they want. Oh, and so I always love that. Goodness me. I mean, we haven't even started. I'm already... <laughs> I, I think people are going to hear a lot of wow from me today. So I apologize in advance. Well, I don't apologize because I think it's just like everything you're saying is like, oh, wow. So can I ask you a question? Sure. Because something's been happening to me and I just have noticed that people are saying things like you're saying. And I'm just inquisitive of, of, of it as still. Like you were sitting in that room and then in the last couple of minutes you felt something. Um, and... And the reason why I'm asking is because I'm, I'm like the most reluctant lover you could ever imagine. I don't feel like I'm trying to do anything or doing anything. I feel like I'm just showing up. I'm coming here. I, I, this love is pouring through me. I feel it. I'm, it's pouring through me right now. I, I, it'll be interesting to know if you feel it here and if your listeners will feel it because it's time removed, you know, and will they be able to feel this love that is happening right now? But I want to know, how do you believe it's possible? 
that someone you haven't ever met that's thousands of miles away, that you could have a conversation with that person and that you could feel this tingling in your body or the sensation that's going on, whatever that sensation is. What sense do you make of it? Because I make no sense of it. I mean, I understand that, and I understand that up here is an intellectual concept. I understand that love is bigger than we are, and it, it doesn't, it has no boundaries and borders and all of that. And still, I, I can make no sense of that. That how is it possible that love would be felt all around the world by yeah. people that don't know each other, yeah. but feel each other so strongly? that they would be moved to contact each other, to have each other on podcasts, to have, I mean, healings are happening. I have no idea how these healings are happening. Wow. You didn't say much. Yeah. You, you didn't say much. And when you spoke, you were just being yourself. It's very hard to describe, except that I really resonated with you saying so less, because it's like the truth doesn't need a lot of words to express itself. By you yeah. being there and saying less, I guess the truth came out even more. Okay. Yeah, I needed to gra grab your book and that's something we'll come to definitely. But I also needed to get in touch with you. Thank you. So, Daniel, um, one of the questions I had is, um, how do you introduce yourselves to people? Like, you know, when um, people introduce themselves, they'll say, hi, you know, I'm this. And then they will go into their roles and they'll say, I'm this and that. And I'm just curious because you have such a diverse, you know, roles yes, in your life. Yes. So how do you introduce yourself then? So I have a bio. I hardly ever use that when I'm speaking of myself because why? I mean, I, oh, and even when people introduce me through the bio that I give people, because that's what people tell me I have to give people because they have to introduce me somehow. I'll often say without, with no disrespect to it at all, that none of who, none of what I've ever done really matters in one degree or another, because if in this moment, we can't have a conversation where you feel me, where you, where you feel the love that comes through me, where you feel uplifted by the, the sound of my voice, the feeling that I have. If that doesn't happen, then who cares what I've done before? I could, I could have coached presidents and I could have worked with, with government officials and I could have gone and changed healthcare and I could have worked in, and, and built a, a, a business from $3 million to $100 million. But why does it matter? None of, none of that's important. If you don't feel me now, if you feel me in these moments, then I could be, I could have been living under a bridge for 60 years. The only important thing is what do you feel right now? So what do people that are listening here feel? Because we're asking a big commitment of your time. We're asking half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour of your time. That's a big commitment for someone to give. What is it you feel? If you don't feel anything, I would suggest you stop right now and just go on with something else. Mm. And so I guess I introduce myself. If someone would press me to say, who are you and how do you introduce yourself? I would say I'm, I'm, I am what I've always been. <laughs> I'm no better or no worse than I've ever, <laughs> ever been. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow 
you know, um, I we we had a chat the other day, and I and because I felt I needed to just just have a sense of you, and I needed to introduce your, um, myself to you, and um, before the podcast, and you you um, talked about your daughter, and you talked about how she has been your greatest teacher, and and I my my question is, have you always been like so? I would use the word um, awakened uh, person or did, did something happen in your life where something, in, you know, something shifted uh, and then, you know, for whatever reason and life never looked the same again? Yeah, I'm, I definitely am the second, not the first. I, I, I definitely was not born with any special gifts. Um, you know, if you, when you beat up a, a slice of meat, it makes it tender. Well, I just am a piece of meat that's been beat up a lot. And you either go one way or the other. You either get tenderized or you get tough. Mm. I found getting tough didn't work. When I was tough, it, the, the one who was cooking the meat, who needed the meat to be tender, only beat it more. <laughs> and so I think it's somewhere along the line. I said, okay, enough with the beating. Let's just beat me as little as you have to, to tenderize me as much as you want to. And let me hold on to that experience. And when I don't, just beat me again, because that's what seems to be working. Mm. And I wish, like I was just on another podcast, I just got off of another one, right? And he said, well, what's the formula? Like, what, what have you done? What are the things you've done to bring you to this place that you're at right now? And I said, God, I wish I could tell you. But I don't think there's anything that I've done. I don't believe that this is a result of my work. This is, this is the only thing that I can think of is this is a grace that's come. And, and maybe... Maybe the the woman upstairs with the big G on her sweatshirt, you know, felt so bad for me and felt like so pitiful and felt so merciful because it's taken me so doggone long to get it that she finally said, oh, forget it all. I'm just going to give you something. I'm going to give you a little present. <laughs> but I certainly don't think it's anything that I've done because there's nothing that I can point back to to say that I've done. Are there things that have happened along the way? Certainly. Um, was there a direct response to that? Certainly not. Could it have been over time, the constant, you know, just tenderizing of this meat of Danny has helped him to become a maybe. But it seems way too important. That seems to put me in way too important a place. I would rather believe that there's nothing I did. I would rather believe that this can happen to anyone. In my particular case, I needed I needed to be tenderized through through pounding. In someone else's case, they could just wake up and say, "Here, bam, let me touch you, and you're done. Let me just show you what love is, and you'll feel it." But I was too stubborn, I guess. I don't know what happened. But then, when something happened, something really happened. 
And I keep looking to say, well, maybe it was because I loved others and accepted others. Maybe it was because I, I, I held the space for them to be listened to and heard. Maybe it's because I acknowledged them and validated them. And I've been doing this for years and years and years that maybe the world itself said, okay, Danny, we're going to love you and accept you in a bigger way. And we're going to acknowledge you and validate you. And we're going to listen to you and hear you in ways that are bigger than we ever have. And you're going to be heard and acknowledged and validated, blah, 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 blah. It sounds pretty self-important. I don't believe it has anything to do with anything that I did. Mm -hmm. I believe it was a gift. And that gift could be taken from me at any moment. And so the only thing I can do is enjoy the moments that I have the gift. Mm. And if the moments, if the moment disappears, then I can enjoy the moment disappearing too. But surely you have seen something that you can't unsee now. Yeah, just about everything. I mean, I grew up in a world that was so totally different than the world than the world of my friends. I lost my parents early on. My dad passed. My dad was my hero. He passed away when I was thirteen. My mom passed away two years later on the same day, same exact time when I was fifteen. I moved in with an aunt and uncle. My uncle was a household name around the world. He wanted to give me his business. He wanted to start me at the bottom and work me up to the top. And he said, in 15 years, I'll mentor you and you'll be able to sit in the place where I sit. So by the time you're 30 years old, you'll be writing, you'll be running a multi-billion dollar company. Billion, not million, billion. And I walked away from it because it wasn't the heaven I was looking for. I had the man that started organizational psychology who had founded organizational psychology before him. It was psychologists had couches and people laid on couches and psychologists sat next to them and they worked on the human consciousness of an individual. He came up with the idea and said, corporations are made of you individuals. Why don't we create a corporate psychology that works on the corporation and the people in the corporation? And he said, Danny, I want you to be my protege. I will we'll create it together and I'll give it over to you because I'm not going to be here long. I just, I just want to create something for you and give it to you. I had hair down to my waist, and I said, Lou, does this look at all like somebody who's a corporate, who gives a darn about what happens in corporations? Not at all. But I was short-sighted because I'm working with corporations now, and it would have been great to have done that then. Mm. But I just couldn't see it then. I've had so many opportunities where people wanted to give me over all that they've done because they saw something in me that wouldn't abuse it or, or ruin it or, or, or misuse it. But it was never my heaven. My heaven was that place where we look at something that we've always seen and see it the same way we've always seen it. And then suddenly the perspective changes. And we see it completely differently. When that spot happens, that for me is heaven. Because everything we always saw and everything we always knew to be the reality that we believed in suddenly just wasn't that reality anymore. And that's an amazing moment. Mm. It questions every single thought and pattern and belief that we have. Can we come to your book? Please. So I have got it in front of me. It's, it's, it's even so beautiful just to touch <laughs> Thank you so much. It's, uh, it's um, for the listeners here. It's called uh, Mosaic. And um, I, I think, Daniel, did you say somewhere that uh, you didn't write the book? It, the book 
came through you. Yes, yes. Crazy story. Yeah. I tried to write the book. I, 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 the book is a parable. It's a, it's a fable. It's loosely based on the story of my life. It's about a boy who loses his parents two years apart on the same day. And when he asks the adults where his parents are, they tell him they're in a place called heaven. So that boy sets out in search of the place called heaven. But the people he finds are not the, the, the holy men and women. They're not the medicine women and the, and the shamans and the priests and the swamis and the gurus and the rabbis and the ministers and the, and the priests. They're the road worker and the homeless guy. They're the street artist and the gardener. They're the thief and the traveler. And he wonders, why in the world am I meeting these people? These are not the people that are the custodians of heaven. What would I be meeting these people for? I have to find heaven. I'm, I, I need to find my mom and dad. I need to know where they are. And he hears a voice say to him, just be quiet, just quiet down. Just take a few moments. You don't have anywhere to go. You don't even know where you're going. Take a few moments and just listen to these people tell you their stories. Ronnie, in every single case, 100% of the time, when he listened to the stories of the people he was sitting with, he realized that he didn't see them the way they were. He saw them the way he was. He had a complete perspective shift. And when he had that happen over and over and over again, he started to ask himself, what do I actually see? It's actually real. Like, what do I actually see? And he remembered his father's words when he came to him in a vision to tell him that he had died. His father said, nothing is as it seems. Nothing is as it seems. Five words. Those five words will, tr will transform and change your life. Because if nothing is as it seems, then what is it? Like, what is, what are we looking at? What do we see? If that's not true, then what, hold it. Everything that we believe in could be, could be not real. And then what happens? And that's what the process of the mosaic has done to me. It's untied every belief system that I have because I realize my beliefs are just stories that I've told myself so many times over and over and over and over and over and over again that I started to believe they were facts. Mm. But stories aren't facts, they're stories. Yeah. And I built on those stories houses and villages and towns and cities and states and countries. And when I pulled the foundation of that story out, all those crumbled. So then what do I have? That takes a lot of courage. Yeah, I was about to say. And if your listeners can avoid doing it, I recommend it at all costs. If they can't avoid to do it, welcome along for the ride. You know, what you said, Daniel, about stories, um, when we are... When we are living our stories, we don't even know we are, we are, we are, you know, we are living the stories. Like someone said that, um, whoever discovered fish was not, you know, whoever discovered water, that was definitely not the fish. Fish can't right. discover water. It's just in the right. water. So when we have all these stories and our beliefs, and it doesn't look like a belief. I mean, I know I have so many thousands and thousands of beliefs, but in that moment, it just seems like the truth. And, and yeah. so when you read a such a sort of 
powerful book, a profound book. You know, it it just you know you can't you can't but help question the sort of the belief that you say like oh this is who I am, this is what I like, and this is what my I can do in life. This is what my success are. This is you know those sort of stuff are all made up. And there's a lot of fear, isn't it, isn't it, Daniel, mm. that we don't want to go there. So, no, 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 it's like I want to hold on to this identity, like this is who I am. When we are challenged in life, and I will talk to you in a minute about the people I, I work with, which are people with mental health suffering and diagnosis and so on, there's a lot of suffering. For me in my own life, I've realized that when I am caught up in my stories and this is who I am, this is what I can't do, I feel very tense and fearful and like very rigid. Yeah. And you know yes. that whatever you are experiencing, the problems are part of the stories that you have to suffer or this is, this means that. Yeah, and, and it, the problems may be really big. They They could be small, they could be big. But the beautiful thing is when you start to see that everything is the is created through the story that we created. We have the power then to unravel the stories if we choose to. But that unraveling of the stories often unravels a life because we don't know who we are without those stories. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you just a perfect case in point. My parent, when my dad passed away, my mom took us took me to, with her to New York to see really good friends of hers, and we had a great time there. My mom loved me with these people and. They were, they were saying, you should move here now. You don't have to be in Philadelphia anymore. Come to New York and be with us. And we started to look around, and they said that there's this one area that isn't terrible now, but it's going to be the one of the top areas in New York. And if you would invest in it now, you would make tons of money back. But now it's terrible, and it's called Soho. And so I told people that my mom bought a little place in Soho, and when, I, and when we were there, it was so ho. It was full of hoes, full of prostitutes. There were crack needles on the ground around us. And we would, I would wake up and I would go out of the street and I would go to school. And I'd pass these whores in the street and I would pass these crack needles, crack, uh, you know, needles. Mm. And I told that story for about 15 years. Until one day when I was telling the story, I said, hold it, what in the hell am I talking about? That never, ever happened. But I had told that story to myself so many times that I actually believed for a very short period of time, we moved to New York, we were in Soho, and there was no reality to it at all. Well, that's a very simple, stupid example for me of how how could I have done that? But how about the story of I'm not good enough? Mm. How many times have I told that to myself? How about the story of no, I just can't do that. Mm. You know, I listen to people speak, and in the first three minutes of their talking to me about what's going on in their life, I hear why they can't have what they want. Because they're already saying, that never works for me. It works for everybody else, but this never works for me. Mm. Like, I went to get this job, and I, I, every time I go for that job, I, I never get the job with that company. And I, I, I feel like it will never work out with my wife. Well, they're, they're creating the reality through the mm. stories they're telling, but none of those stories are true. Mm. You could tell an entirely different story and have an entirely different world. And that change of perception makes everything a change. Mm. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we see the world, the world we see changes. Mm. That's exactly the point that I'm talking about. Mm. And so 
this is much easier than we think it is. Because often what happens to it is one story that we tell ourselves conflicts with another story that we tell ourselves. And we live in conflict with ourselves all day long. Well, I really want this, but I can't have that. I really want to love my wife, but I don't know how to love my wife. I really would like to ask this person out on a date, but I'm scared to do that. I can't do that. I really deserve to be making this much money, but maybe I don't. We fill ourselves with con conflicting stories that it's like our energy goes and stops, goes and stops, goes and stops all the time. What would happen? My wife does these beautiful energy alignments where she aligns the energy in the spine so that it's all in in beautiful harmony with each other. Mm. So there isn't a go and stop. There's just a go and we keep going. Mm. I mean, what a beautiful way to live, not in competition or, or in, ang in, in angst with ourselves. Mm. And what I do through the mosaic is I take all of those pieces, all of those stories, and I put them together into one mosaic. And I say, this is the mosaic of who you are. Yeah. And it's made beautiful by the fact that some pieces give you turmoil and some pieces bring you joy. But we don't separate those out because we, we know that we can go to feel bad in some places. We can go to feel great in some other places. And sometimes we will never go to either of those places because they're just not appropriate for us anymore. Mm. We'll stay in the place where we, don't, we neither feel good nor bad. But all those pieces are part of us, and we make that into our mosaic. Mm. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, some people think that no negativity should come. You know, we should only be doing positive thinking or being optimistic. And I think that sucks a lot of energy as well. Like, if you think oh, you only oh. have to have positive thoughts, it's, again, there's a lot of friction there, isn't it? Like, you are feeling this, but on, a, on the same time, you're saying, no, I shouldn't be feeling this. I should be feeling something else instead. And and what, what would you say to people when they say, but I can't go there. I shouldn't be fearful. But the thing is, they are feeling fearful. Yeah. I would say that the places we're scared to go to that we think we shouldn't go to, are some of the most beautiful places we could ever go to. Because until we're willing to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, we'll never go through that valley. We'll always be scared to death that we're not good enough to get through it. Mm. What I would say to them is when, when something happens in your life that seems like it's a terrible thing, listen to it. Because I think I've told you the story of my daughter who's yeah. developmentally delayed. Yeah. And she can't speak clearly. So when she speaks and no one hears her, she yells. When she yells and no one hears her, tantrums. When she tantrums and nobody hears her, she attacks. Well, that's the same thing the world does to us. That's the same thing we do to each other. And so if we're already at the place where we're scared of doing something because we feel it's going to hurt us, we haven't listened to the whisper. We haven't listened to the yell. We haven't listened to the chaos. Now we're listening. Now it's coming to a place where we're in danger. All we have to do is retrofit it back. We have to sit with it and say, hold it. You don't need to take down the buildings. You don't need to destroy me. You don't need to hurt me. You don't need to harm me. I'm so sorry I didn't listen to you. What is it you want to say to me? 
and listen to it. Hear it. And see what it tells you, because it may be whispering to you one of the most beautiful love letters you'll ever receive from the girl with a big G on her sweatshirt called God. Right? It, it is most likely the most exquisite gift you could ever be given. But we deny it because we shouldn't feel that way. Who the heck says we shouldn't feel that way? This is We feel what we feel. There's something beautiful about Zen, the practice of Zen. When we're hungry, we eat. When we're sleepy, we sleep. When we feel like we want to yell, we yell. Mm. When we feel like we want to make love, we make love. Mm. Learning to be authentically ourselves is the most beautiful thing we can ever do. Mm. So can I say, can I ask something around it? Because I'm thinking, okay, um, you know, I am a psychiatrist. I work with people with mental health issues from, you know, stress and overwhelm, from depression and anxiety to schizophrenia, psychosis, bipolar, chronic depression. And a lot of people have um, trauma, uh, childhood trauma, lots and lots of experiences. I mean, sometimes I sit there and I think, oh, my goodness, I mean, oh, that this person is still there telling the story. And, yeah. um, and, and so, and a lot of people have flashbacks about uh, horrible things that happened in the past and they're very fearful. And the thing is that it's not just having a, you know, thought in the head. They have a full bodied experience. So totally. on, on one hand, so although, um, I get what he's saying, but I'm sure there will be people saying, hang on a minute, but I can't accept that. I can't accept that you know, the flashback when it comes, because it seems like I am in that place when that horrible thing happened to me. And people are scared, are extremely scared. So I, I just, uh, and I just wonder what you would say to that. I can't say this with certainty. So take it with a grain of salt. And if you don't agree with me, I completely give you the space to not agree with me. I, I don't say I have this right the clientele and the, and the, and the persona of people that I'm working with are not that population, mm. but I do have a daughter that's developmentally delayed. I do have a daughter that hasn't ever been able to have a conversation with me for 31 years. I do have a daughter that when she gets, when she doesn't get listened to and doesn't get heard, she tantrums, she attacks, she, and she's violent. Um, some people would say she's going through some of the behaviors you're talking about. When I stopped for a moment, after 15 years of putting up with her tantrums and her attacks spontaneously, coming seemingly out of nowhere, and I said to her, Lisa, this can't go on anymore. I love you too much. Can you find a way to say what you're trying to say to me without using words? Because I just can't understand your words, and I want to understand you more than anything in this world. I would give every dollar I have, every moment of breath that I have to understand those six words you just said to me. I just don't understand. Can you find another way to communicate to me? And for the first time ever, she said in perfect English, I am daddy. And I said, I'm sorry, what the heck did you just say? What do you mean you are daddy? How are you doing that? And she took her forefinger and put it to the side of her head. And what I understood from that is that she was telepathically putting thoughts into my head because she didn't have to go through the obstruction of her, of her system, of her mouth that didn't allow her to say the words properly. Mm. And I had heard those things, Ronnie, 
But I just didn't believe that someone who couldn't talk was capable of having thoughts like that because I didn't believe she was capable of thinking that much because she couldn't speak. So mm-hmm. I thought she was stupid. But she was telling me stuff. Mm-hmm. And she was finding a way to communicate to me that was way beyond any way of communicating that smart people communicate. And I said to her, and I still didn't believe it. And so I said to her, you little son of a gun, are you really, are, are you putting thoughts in my head? Is that what you've been doing? And she just broke out into a hysterical laugh. And she said, yes, daddy, yes. Like she finally, after 15 years, got heard. She heard, I was hurt. I heard her. And she, and she was found a way to communicate that I could hear. And we laughed uncontrollably, contagiously for 20 minutes. That's a long time for two people to laugh with each other. Mm-hmm. At the end of those 20 minutes, she never tantrum. She never yelled. She never tantrum. She never attacked again. Do I think this could work with people that are bipolar? I don't know. I can't say that it can. But I can tell you this. She has tantrum and attacked in, her, in the group home because they don't have the patience to do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Even though I tried to tell them. She gets jacks out and they go, okay, we just, you know, we, we get her into a place of isolation. Not that they isolate her or do anything, but they put her in a room where she can't hurt anybody, except she might bite herself. But, that, but they don't have the capability to say, I can hear your thoughts in my head because they're not willing to go that space. But she doesn't do it with me. And she very rarely does it there because I'm the one she trusts enough to do it with if she were to do it, because she knows I'll still love her. Mm. So can it work in that population? I can't tell you for 100% certainty that it could. But I'll tell you one thing, when this pandemic's over, I would love to do some, some analysis and go, go into some of those situations and see if it would be possible. Because I do believe, even though people can't speak, or even though people are in depressed states, even though people are acting out, they're acting out because there was no listening to them when they didn't act out. And they're acting out is the progression of what has to happen because they actually want to be heard. They want to be seen. They don't want to be told what to do all the time. They don't want to be constricted. They don't want to be refined. They want to be told that I, I'm a thinking human being stuck inside this body that can't say what it wants to say. If you'll find a way to help me, say. if you'll find a way to listen to me, if you'll find a way to help me, communicate to you i will not do this because i won't have to when you listen to someone say what they say they don't need to yell they don't need to tantrum or create chaos they don't need to attack because you've heard them mm-hmm. i'm 65 years old and nobody's ever said to me danny you have to agree with me when i listen to them and hear them when i acknowledge what they're saying is what they're saying and i validate them for saying and i say you have every right to say whatever you feel to say i mean i i completely get that and whatever you say whatever you do i'm going to love you and, and accept you because i just love you my love isn't based on what you believe my love is based on who you are and if they would come in harm's way and some of them are have crazy beliefs i would never believe what they believe But if they were put in harm's way as a result of their beliefs, I would take a bullet for them because I love them that much. Mm. I could care less what they believe. Mm. There's something here about, you know, going back to the title of your room, um, The Power of Listening. And a lot of people feel unheard, 
Um, and maybe when the trauma happened when they were very young and they might have told someone and no one li- believed them, no one listened to them. They just had to tend to themselves and, and they just had to keep their head down and just go on in life. And all, all this has been building up and then more and more walls of fear and everything there. People might be lost, but they're not broken. In my conversations with people, when I am having that sort of conversation, something shifts. Sometimes people might not want to hear that or they, they don't hear that because they have built too high walls. And so they see me as yet another psychiatrist trying to fix them or something. But yes. I guess where I am in my own personal journey and what I proceed alongside my training is I find it so beautiful that sometimes, you know, I read the notes and say, oh, this person had this problem and this person had that problem and they are like this. But when I meet with them and, and we are just having a conversation, it's just a a person who has been extremely lost. Yeah. And, and yes. then, you know, something else happens. If I become the expert and then I talk down to them, there's a, there's a very different dynamic to when I also am a human being with my own flaws and weaknesses and I meet them as that. As a human being, we have laughter, we have like silly chats, and then there's, and there's something else that resonates, something else that shifts. And I do believe that when I come from the space of being of service and just being, and I, I'm very surprised, you know, history is just something that stories made up, and that's not who the person is. Wouldn't it be fascinating if a 31-year-old girl that's never been able to have a conversation in her whole life was able to solve the dilemma of mental health? By simply staying, like, sort of, what, who was the woman who had autism? What I can't remember her name, and she built all these beautiful, she, she worked with systems for how you take cows to slaughter so that they wouldn't feel the pain. I can't, I can't, I, her name's right on my lips, and I can't remember it. But she wrote about her autism. Wouldn't it be amazing if, an, if a 31-year-old woman who never had a conversation could teach the world how to listen to each other? And I literally would be interested in doing experimentation on the population that we're talking about. Maybe it won't change. Maybe it will change. Who knows? But I can tell you for undoubtedly that in the rooms that I go into on Clubhouse, in the conversations that I've had with absolute strangers, I've had thousands and thousands and thousands of conversations. And the result is always the same. It hasn't been with that population, so I don't know, except it has been with my daughter. So I do sort of know and with my daughter, but she's my daughter. Mm. When the walls come down around people and they feel safe, mm. when two people stand unprotected by the walls that protect us, mm. into me see happens you see into me and I see into you and there's intimacy. And in that intimacy, that love enters every crevice of a person's being. Illnesses heal. Pain in the body heals. People are writing me from, from, you saw how little I spoke in that room. People are writing me from speaking 15 or 20 words. I, I said to my wife, Baby, this is crazy. I'm going into these rooms and people are people are un, unmuting their their things and cheering. And I said, she said, "Well, you have a pretty big ego, don't you?" I said, "Yeah, no, no. I, I I want I just like I want you to come into one of these rooms and hear it." 
And she heard it and she sat and, she, and, and we put it on pause. And, and she, I, I said, what do you think? She said, well, that's sort of an exaggerated response to what you're saying, isn't it? Like I can see 100% why you're saying what you're saying. Because it's not anything that I'm saying. It's not that there's just a presence there of love that's bigger than me, that's bigger than you, that's bigger than them. But that people feel. That's why I asked you why. What did you feel that made you want to call mm. talk, talk to me? Mm. That that has no boundaries and no borders. And I truly believe. I don't have. It's not. I don't have data to confirm it. I would like to have data to confirm it. But I truly believe in the population that you're speaking about, that that love is more powerful than any diagnosis that a person has. Mm. And that when people feel loved and accepted, when they feel listened to and heard, Mm. when they feel acknowledged and validated, all the sideshows of what they're doing to to create somebody seeing them, fall away mm-hmm. and healing happens i don't know how it happens i don't know why it happens i wish i could tell you here's the formula and i'm this big healer and i put my hands on people and something happens mm-hmm. it's none of that i have no idea what i'm doing to make it happen except i just know that i feel this love enter into that room and that love is doing miracles mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not that i'm bringing it in it just enters yeah well, I'll tell you what comes to mind. I think um, what I see in people I serve is that there's a lot of thing about trust, not trusting, yeah. and feeling unsafe. And I guess what you create, um, without even maybe intending to just be being present and you know just having the presence of love, is that people uh, might come in suspicious people might come in with lots of thinking around or what is it about and so on but once they hang in there and they sort of just get curious they will realize that this is actually a safe space because initially people might look around and see is there any danger around but once they find a space and they say actually this is a safe space i can let my guard down and yes actually i can trust this one you know there's no judgment there i'm expressing myself and i think a lot of people are hungry for that. It is just a space, therapeutic relationship, which is much more powerful. And then people think that this person is listening to me. I can relate to this person. So it's safe. So I can open up. And what I love that has happened, even in the short time that it's happened, is other people have come into the room and are opening up their own rooms where the same thing is happening. So it has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. Like my goal in my lifetime would be, because I was going to travel around the world and, and listen to the people no one listens to and hear and, and speak to the people no one speaks to. My goal is to create these little centers where people could come to, where they would be completely safe, where they would be loved and accepted, listened to and heard, and acknowledged and validated. And to see what would happen as... Every little village, every little town, every city, every state had multiple locations where people could come to just to experience the experience of what it feels like to be loved and accepted, listened to and heard, acknowledged and validated. It's so strange that we would have to create centers that that wouldn't be the way we just naturally are. But we're not that way naturally now anymore. We just have to remember that that is who we are. Mm. That is our nature. That is what we bring. That is why we're here. 
We're not here to make a million bucks. We'll make money when it's time to make money. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Mm-hmm. We're not here to, to change or fix or help. We're just here to love each other. Yeah. The simple message of a mosaic is it's made beautiful because the people just hug, the pieces hug each other. They just hold each other close to them. Yeah. They don't teach each other. There's not, there's not a verticality to it. They're not people above you telling you what to do. They're not people below you begging for help. They just simply hold each other, every single, every single color, every single size. And the beauty of the mosaic is even if we are broken, it doesn't matter. Even if we are completely broken, you come into the mosaic and the brokenness of your piece looks exquisite in the collection of other pieces around you. Mm. It makes what we think is the worst thing in the world one of the most beautiful things in the world. Absolutely. And, you know, your book is like one chapter after another. Like I was saying to you before recording this, the moment I got this, I just, um, I fell asleep because I, it was late at night. I fell asleep after reading the first two, but the first two pages just touched me so deeply. I could feel my tears coming out and I, and I, and I just, you know, it was not tears of sadness or anything else. I, I guess it was just tears and it just needed to come out. And it was like my, I, all I can describe is by reading your book, my heart was full, really full. And then the next morning I woke up, I made myself a cup of tea and sat up in bed and I just didn't get, get out until I, I finished it. And thankfully it was a weekend, but my heart was so full. It's just that story as if it was written for me. I needed to hear something. Um, and I didn't realize it was your own story. And then only, only when towards the end, when I said that, that, that young boy was you, that really happened to you and was like, Oh, wow. I do want each and every of my listeners give themselves this gift of, of this mosaic and, and really, you know, seeing this for themselves. Yeah. That's what, that's what I love more than what it costs, more than what it would make, what it, more than anything. There's a change of perspective that happens. Mm-hmm. And when that perspective changes, when we understand these five words, that nothing is as it seems. Yeah. That the people we think are the lowest of people are not the lowest of people. If we take time to be with them, they're not at all what they seem. The things that we think are terrible and criminal and the people that we think they're wrong because they disagree with us, they're not wrong. They don't just, it's all part of this beautiful mosaic. Mm-hmm. And what would happen if we were able to accept the world that we accept and see the world that we see? How would that look for us? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's so beautiful. Daniel, can I ask you about the four levels of connection that uh, you were saying? And you said, yes, I can talk about this in a podcast. So please, I'm really curious about the four levels of connection. So most people think that what we're doing right now is connecting. And it is. But there are three steps that come before this step. Most of our time, I don't know, are we going to be on video as well? So some people may see it on video. Yes, yes. So for those watching on video... Imagine this is what I do with my life. We, I, we live in conflict. We've already talked about that with ourselves. We believe on one hand we can do it. We believe, no, I can't. We, we, we see the life that we want to live through the window, but the window's there and we can't get to it. And so what we do is we take a, we take a chance. We go in for it and then we just hit ourselves because we say we can't do it. And eventually if I hit myself enough, this hurts too much. I'm going to do this. I'm going to put this wall up to say, 
I don't want you hitting me in the face, even if it's my own hand hitting me in my face. But if you can see, look how close my hand is to my face. I'm two millimeters away from my face. Mm. And I don't know where I'm going to hit myself. I might hit myself in the chest. I might hit myself in the stomach. I'm, I might punch myself in the groin. I might hit myself in the knees or the thighs or the calves or the feet. So that cylinder comes all the way down. I built a silo around myself that's two millimeters from me, not to protect me from you, but to protect me from me. Mm. Because I spend so much time beating myself up, so much time in disagreement with myself, that I say, enough's enough. I'm just going to stay in this isolated place until I realized that if I were kind to myself, if I stopped hitting myself, I wouldn't need to have the walls to protect me from my own attack. So... The first step to the practice of getting to know self, of connecting to self, is to practice kindness. To be kind to yourself. Because when you're kind to yourself, your walls come down. So suddenly when my walls come down, I went from a two millimeter life that I was living where everything was within these two millimeters, where I painted the outside of my silo so that you thought that that's who I was, so you would like me, to now that wall isn't up anymore. And all of a sudden, I look around, I go, whoa, wow, look at this world that's out here. This is amazing. This is really big. And I realize that there's a connection to something bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. And when I connect to that something bigger than myself, then what has to leave by the wayside is my sense of controlling this world that I live in. Mm-hmm. Because if there's something bigger than myself, there's probably a good chance that they are at least as much in control of this world as I am. And when I start to be vulnerable to the fact that something else is at play here, Mm. when I start to cooperate with the world that I live in rather than control it, then my world opens up even more. So the second practice of of the connection to something bigger than ourselves is the practice of being vulnerable. So all of a sudden now when I realize that here I am, I'm created in this kind human being who doesn't need to protect myself, who wants to be open. In this world where there's a creator of this universe that's bigger than me, there's something bigger than me that is obviously at play here. Then I start to wonder, wow, what is this person that's me doing in this world that's bigger than me? What is my purpose here? What is What, what am I all about? Why am I here? And so the third connection is the connection to purpose. And I start to realize that the creator, the one that's bigger than me, doesn't create repeat copies of the world. He doesn't need to. She doesn't need to. If it's created and someone's done it, we don't, there don't need to be carbon copies of that. Even though the world we live in says, look, if you follow these rules and you do it just this way, you'll be successful and you will be successful. You'll make money if you follow the things that people are telling you to do. But you might not be fulfilled. Because when you try to live a life that isn't your life, when you try and copy a life that someone else has given you, yeah, you'll make money, but that doesn't mean you'll be happy. There's so many people that have money and don't have fulfillment. There are also a lot of people that don't have money that don't have fulfillment. So I'm not saying that you can't, that, that if you have money, you can't have fulfillment. But when you, when you know what you're here to do, when you live your purposeful life, when you're kind and you're vulnerable and you live a purposeful life, the world changes. 
And when you get a group of those people who are kind and vulnerable and purposeful, their purposes don't have to be the same purpose. They can be different purposes. That's still, the, those people are the people that Margaret Mead talks about when she says, throughout all of civilization, you take a look at the world, people that have changed the world. It's a small group of people that have come together, that have been kind, vulnerable, and purposeful. And they make a change in the world. So the fourth connection is to build your mosaic, is, that, is to make connections with other people. And so we can have this conversation at level four, but if we haven't done one, two, or three, it's, it's going to be my wall talking to your wall. Mm-hmm. And at some point, it's going to be unfulfilling. Mm-hmm. At some point, I'm going to say, I don't understand why you're so close to me, but I can't feel you. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why I, don't, I have problems with intimacy. I don't understand why people don't listen to me or hear me. I don't understand why I don't feel seen. Well, good Lord, you got those walls around you. How can anybody see you with those walls around you? And so it all starts to make sense all of a sudden. And it's all so simple and so easy. Hmm. Oh, wow. Daniel, but people might be saying, how do I practice kindness? I mean, all my life I've been hitting myself and now you ask me to be kind. I'm 50, you know, 52 years old or something. How should I practice kindness? <laughs> What would you say to that? So because I wanted to know that, I created, can you see it? This is a little, this is a little rubber bracelet yeah. that says, be kind to you. <laughs> and so it's a 21-day challenge. Oh, right. But it's 21 consecutive days. And I ask people that, to put it on one wrist. And whenever they, so I have it on this wrist. Yeah. <clears throat> the moment I'm not kind to myself, I take it off of this wrist. And I put it on this wrist and I start over again. Ronnie, it took me four months to get to day one. <laughs> I should try it. <laughs> It'll take me it's a year. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It took me nine months to get to 21 days oh, wow. consecutive where I was kind to myself and I didn't put myself down. And you don't have to have this bracelet. You can just take anything, mm. but use it as a practice. Mm. And as the practice, put that pra- put put something on, and just change it every day. Every change it as soon as you do it. I, that first day to get through the first day, I probably changed my bracelet five hundred times. It isn't about punishing yourself for how long it takes. Mm. It's about noticing the process of what happens for you in order to be kind to yourself and how often and how many ways we sabotage ourselves. Because look what happens. If we say, I'm going to do this, and then we're constantly sabotaging ourselves, is it any wonder we're not doing what we truly yeah. desire to be doing? Yeah. And until we allow ourselves to run in alignment with ourselves, to allow our energy to flow freely. We'll do everything we were told to do, but we won't do it with any fulfillment. We won't do it with any sense of, of achievement, not in the way that we want to achieve. Other people may look at us and say, boy, you're so successful. But we'll feel like an imposter. Yeah. Yeah. 
Daniel, I'm so aware of time, so I need to wrap this up. Um, I just want to say to you, I really like this idea. I'm going to take up the challenge. And I think I like your bracelet. I'm going to grab it, go to your store and grab it. But this is, I'm announcing it in my own podcast. Like I am going to do this 21 days challenge and I'll, let's see how long it takes me, but it will, I'll come back to you and maybe we do a hundred podcasts in a year's time saying, I love oh, it. I would love it. Oh, I would love it. <laughs> So great thing to do. They're not that expensive. They're cheap. I mean, they're just a rubber bracelet. Yeah. Um, it's buy it for 10 friends Thank and have you. 10 friends do it with you. And just so because it just becomes an enjoyable, you sit and laugh about, God, I can't believe how many times I did that. I know. Rather than when you do it by yourself, you criticize yourself and knock yourself down. Yeah. I'll get my whole family to do it. it on, <laughs> yeah. You can get it on. It's on the mosaiconline.com, yeah. that yeah. website. Yeah. It's where you can see it. Absolutely. So I would say to people that, you know, you, everyone has to get a copy of this. I mean, this is, this is life changing. I know that this is not a coincidence. This is not an accident. I came across Daniel and I walked into the clubhouse room called the power of listening. It was meant to happen. And I, I, I know that, you know, I am going on a new journey of some kind of, you know, getting to see my mosaic and, you know, just, just having this conversation now about the 21 days challenge. It's like, yes, let's see what's in store for me. So, I love it. So, Daniel, I, I'm going to put my, the show notes and put the link to your website and everything to, that's uh, how people will find you. I mean, you are very easy to find, uh, but I'm going to make sure that we put all the pointers there. Have you got a core message for people, a key takeaway message for people? Because we had a long conversation, but if there was one thing yes. people could take away, what would that be? Do I have time to tell you one more story? Yes, yes, of course. Okay. So I think I've said to you, I've sat with some really beautiful people, some of the richest people in the world, some of the most inspired people in the world. They've been my friends. It's not in audiences. I sat with, time, I sat with them and they gave me counsel and asked my counsel. I've sat with the poorest of the poor. And one of the poorest of the poor is who I want to bring to mind right now. He was a homeless man on the streets of San Diego. And I was walking on the street and I just looked over to him and I saw him. He was sitting where the pavement met the building. So his backside was on the pavement and his back was leaning up against the building. And in front of him was a little hat that had some coins in it. And I came up to him and I put a dollar in his hat. And I stayed there and stood by him. He said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. I just don't feel like I want to go. I want to talk to you. He said, you can't talk to me. I, I need to make money. I'm, I'm, I'm a, this is my livelihood. I'm, I'm, and I support other homeless people. So I, I have to make money. I make, I make $10 an hour. And I hear 17 hours a day. So I make $170 a day. I do that seven days a week. So that's whatever that is. And I support the people that I support. So I can't stand having you stand here and, and, and me missing that time. So I looked in my wallet and I saw I had a $50 bill. And I said, here's $50. Will that cover a half an hour? He said, you're crazy. I already told you I make $10 an hour. $5 would have covered a half an hour. I said, keep the $50. I'd like to sit and talk to you. He said, you're crazy. Sit down. What do you find so interesting? What is it you want to know? And it took him about 10 minutes to open up. And I said to him, Corey, you sit here all day long, every day, and you watch thousands and thousands of people pass by you. 
if you could congregate them into a stadium or an auditorium or, or an arena and you could speak to them for a few minutes, what would you say to them? And he said, Danny, I would tell them to take 10 minutes out of the course of their life and go up to someone they don't know and just ask them how they're doing. Don't try and fix them. Don't try and change them. Don't try and help them. Just ask them the simple question, how are you, and listen to them. And I said, Corey, that's beautiful. But why out of all the things that you could possibly ask somebody would you ask those things? I mean, there's so many other things you could have asked for that would have seemingly been more significant and more valuable. He said, not to me. He said, I hate being homeless. I feel embarrassed by it, ashamed of myself. I can't believe my life has ended up on the street corner. But even more than that, I hate the way people treat me. They don't treat me like a human being. They don't even treat me like an animal. If I was an injured animal, they would treat me much better than they treat me. They walk by, they kick me, they punch me, they spit on me, they, they attack me. I had a group of boys come by, they beat the daylights out of me, and I laid here. I didn't even know if I was going to live anymore. And I would have been happy to die. And while I was laying there, beaten to a pulp, sleeping on the side of the ground, not knowing if I would ever wake up again, I was awakened by a man urinating on me. And he said, enough is enough. Like, I hate my life. I hate what I'm doing. And I hate the way people treat me. He said, Danny, you don't know it, but the street behind us is a dark street. Nobody walks it because everybody walks on this street. There are no lights there. So I made a decision that evening I was going to go to the street behind me that is dark that nobody goes to. And I made a decision I was going to take my life that night. I didn't say it out loud. I just thought it. I said, this is enough is enough. It's over. And two minutes later, a man in a three-piece suit came up to me and put his hand on my shoulder. And he looked down at me and he said, how are you, my brother? And I said to him, you don't want to know, sir. This is a terrible time to ask. I'm not in a good place. You're really not interested. Please just keep walking. I know you want to try and do a good thing, but this is not a time to do a good thing. I'm done. I'm over. It's finished. And he said, there's not a chance in hell I'm going to do that. And Corey told me the man in the three-piece suit sat down next to him and put his arm around him. And Corey said, I don't know why I did it. Maybe it was because he was an important man in a three-piece suit. But when he put his arm around me, I put my head on his shoulder. And when I put my head on his shoulder, tears started to come out of my eyes, big tears. I don't cry. I don't have tears. But tears came out of my eyes for the first time in years. And he said, that's okay, my friend. Just cry. And I sat there and cried on his shoulder. And as I was crying, he said, tell me what's going on. And I started to talk to him. He said, Danny, you know, it only took about 10 minutes for me to cry out my tears and for me to tell him what I want. I'm certain I have more tears than that. But it only took 10 minutes for me to say to him what I wanted to say. And I could no longer kill myself because I realized here an important man in a three-piece suit spent time with me. A a, a nothing of a person, a a person that 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 was below an animal. And he cared enough about me to just listen to me, tell him how he did. He didn't try and fix me. He didn't try and change me. He didn't try and help me. He just loved me and listened to me. He said, I wish I would have seen that man again. I wanted to tell him that on that day, he doesn't know it, but he saved my life. I was going to kill myself that night, but he'll never know it because I haven't ever seen him. I've looked for him. I've I've hoped he would come by so I could just see him and tell him. When Corey told me that story, it moved me deeply. And I made a vow to myself 
that I was going to tell that story in every interview that I had, in every podcast that I was on, on every talk that I gave, on every company that I went to, in every, in every boardroom that I sat in, in every workshop that I gave, in every seminar that I led, in every television show that I was on. Corey doesn't know it, but now millions of people have heard his story at his request. And I got to believe hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, are going up to people they don't know and spending 10 minutes asking them how they're doing in honor of Corey. His story moved me. And there's something called the butterfly effect, where a butterfly flaps his wings in one place and enough wind is generated in another place to light up a house for a day. Well, that's what Corey did to me. Mm. So I would like to invite everybody who's listening here. Very, very simple. This isn't hard to do. To take 10 minutes out of the course of your lifetime. To find someone you don't know and go up to them and say, how are you doing, my brother and my sister? And just listen to them. There's no need to fix them, change them, help them, do anything. Just listen to them. You have no idea what the power of listening might do. You have no idea what that might that what that might affect in a person's life. And I hope one day someone will walk up to Corey and say to him, How are you, my friend? And he'll say, You remind me of a man who in a three-piece suit. And the person comes up to him will say, I heard that story. Is that your story? And I want, to share, I want you to know that your story has circled the globe. Yeah. And here I am. When I asked you to um, share a message, there couldn't have been any better message than what you just shared. And, you know, it's, again, it talks about the presence of love. Yeah. And I haven't got any other questions. I haven't got any other comments. All I would say that is... I'm so glad you showed up. I showed up as me. You showed up as you. We all showed up. And I th- I think it's, it's all part of the mosaic. And I am, I, I feel held by love. I feel so connected to you and, you know, everything you said. And I know that there is, there is, you know, there is, you know, talking about the four levels of connection, I I have no doubt that this is what's going to connect humanity and this is also going it's applicable yeah. everywhere it's not you know it's not like only these people will benefit from this it's not the people with mental illness you know you might not have worked with them and I I have worked with people and I know people are still the same people are still the yeah. same when you don't focus on the labels and the diagnosis or their behavior and you go back to the humanness you know we are all connected in a mosaic and it's but it starts with us to start with the kindness, which I'm definitely going to start. So I can only give you my thanks and my gratitude and my, my love. But thank you so much for coming. Thank on you, today. my beautiful sister. Thank you for having me here. Thank you. What a treat. Mm-hmm.